Today's scripture comes from the book of 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 through 9, and 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 4. So 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 through 9. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ, and for sprinkling with his blood. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 3-4 through 4. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness, through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, um, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. This is the word of the Lord. This is part three of our series, Most Deeply Human. And uh, we're taking another run through this first Peter chapter one text. It's, a, it's, it's chock full of deep things. And... Um, and I want to continue, in so many ways, this is a continuing discussion about what it means to be human, and I want to continue our discussion on the issue of identity. Identity is a very problematic and fraught issue today, and lots of people are, are wrestling with this, this very tremendously basic question, who am I? <laughs> who am I? And um, we're trying to figure that out, we're trying to build our identity, figure out what our identity is. And I hope that these words from the Bible um, will, will help you and guide you. Now, so let's get into this discussion. And I hope if you, and I, want, I said this last week, and I want to say it again. If you missed last week's message, um, I, want to, I want to urge you to listen to last week's message um, in conjunction with this. In, in some ways, I kind of feel like I've got one long message that's kind of flowing through. And if, you, if, you, if you're following here, there's so much going on in these passages that, if, that you'll see that each week I build some, I, I teach you something, and then the following week I build something on top of that, and then I build something on top of that. So I, I'm hoping that you can kind of hold all this together, and something like something glorious is, is building inside of you with all these different words that are coming out of the Bible, okay? So let's get into it. Part one, identity built upon maximally magnificent promises. In the Bible, 
there's a translation that says, very great promises. It's in the passages, but I don't really like that translation. Um, the way I said it to you last week is, maximally magnificent promises. I think it's closer to what the, the Greek is saying. Identity built upon maximally magnificent promises. Part two, secular identities seeking blessing. So if you are not a follower of Jesus, you are, you, you, everybody has to build an identity in some way. Now, we're, we're a, we're a Bible-believing church. We're urging you to fix and build your identity in the foundation of Christ on the gospel. And, um, but if you don't believe in that, you are building your identity some way. It's a secular way, right? You don't know it, but you're seeking a blessing. Secular identities seeking blessing. And part three, the weight of glory in your soul. I don't know if you know this, but you need a weight. You need something that is weighty, that doesn't make your soul shift and fall apart when the world, when the world hits you with great trial. Not if the world hits you with trial, when. So I'm going to call this the weight of glory in your soul. And if your identity doesn't have a weight in your soul, you're in trouble. I want to let you know that you're in trouble. But if your identity's growing in weight, you're in a really good place, okay? Let's get into it. Part one, let's get right into the passage. And I want to, you know, reread the passage a bit and just quick review of last week. It opens with a statement of identity. Who are you? All right? And so here it is, 1 Peter chapter 1. A lot of times we don't pay attention to these kinds of greeting passages in the Bible. People don't tend to think these are worth thinking about. But um, I think they're really, there's nothing in the Bible that's truly wasted. Okay, so verse 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. This is who he is. Because this, this is who I knew I am. I'm a called out one by Jesus. And then he tells us your identity, okay? If you're a follower of Jesus... I want you to hear your identity here. Here we goes. To those who are elect exiles of the, dia- of the dispersion, the, the word there's diaspora. To those who are chosen, specially set aside by God, and you feel that you are homeless, you often feel kind of like you are homeless and don't belong in the world. And um, let me just say this a little bit. Um, this is a, a big issue in our culture. People always feel like if you're a minority or you're homeless. And there's all this fighting in our society, and we use this word justice because so oftentimes, so the word that's used, that's the translation is in exile. But really, the inner feeling is that somehow you're not known, you're not understood, and that you are somehow shunted off to the side, that you're, you're kind of homeless. And this feeling comes about in lots of different ways. So if you are, you know, from China, but now you're living in America, everything in America can feel a little strange. You feel like I'm homeless. Okay? Or if you are black and you're living in a society that is majority white and their culture and they don't seem to recognize you and they overlook you, you feel like you're in exile. Or let's say today you feel that you know, you're born male, but somehow inside of you, 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 you have this thing that our, 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 our psychologists call dysphoria. 
And that is the sense that somehow inside, I think I'm supposed to be, I'm supposed to be female. And so here you are in this society, and the vast majority of people who are female or male, they seem comfortable in their own skin, and then they have these assumptions about how we operate in our society, and thus you feel like you're in exile. So here's this really simple word, exile, and a lot of people feel like, I feel that nobody else feels that and I'm alone. Well, let me just say something to you. You're not alone. (laughs) There's a lot of ways to feel like you're in exile, that you are essentially a kind of overlooked, homeless, you're homeless in, I mean, today people even feel homeless in their own body. But this is, um, it is a normal feature of a broken and sinful fallen world. And one of the things I want to say to you today, if you are a Christian, of course you feel this way, especially in our city. If you're a Christian, you know, the values of our city and the the religious worldview of our city is, you're so weird. And in fact, there are are many people in our society who think that Christians have bad beliefs, that they are immoral beliefs. That's kind of what we're going on. And so this is the way that we are feeling like we are exiles. We are kind of homeless in our own city. But here is the, the news I want to say to you. Being in exile, it's kind of a fact of who you are. But the important part is you're elect. <laughs> you're chosen. One who is bigger, greater than the world, conquers the world, and will be here all far after whatever inside this world makes you feel homeless, he's chosen you, okay? That is your identity. That's identity. And I want to say to you something like this. If you don't have that, you don't know this God. You don't know a God, a being, a person who can give that to you. Then, well, now you, you have to find your identity somewhere else. And the only other way you're going to find your identity is something in the world. And something in the world is going to fade. It's going to be defiled. It's going to perish. You're building your identity on something that's going to perish. And so, so many people today think, well, religion, that's, that's this kind of weird made-up thing, isn't it? Is it really so weird? In our time, we're looking for something that is so worthy of your life and that has such great power, it can help you endure. In fact, not just make it and endure, but give you joy. Give you something so, so grand and beautiful that you will not only endure, but you can overcome with great joy and hope. So let's, let's, let's go on. So it says this. To those who are elect exiles, and I'm going to say this, to those who are dispersed in Santa Clara, in Sunnyvale, in Cupertino, Milpitas, San Jose, Palo Alto. So that's our church. You know, this is Pontus, Galatia. That's where it was. But our church is there. That's your identity. Verse 2, according to what the Father knew before all things, to the way that the Holy Spirit is changing you to make you holy, and for you to be submitting to the anointed one, Jesus, because you 
have had his blood sprinkled upon you and washed you of all your defilement and of all your sins. And now I want to emphasize this seemingly simple little verse that, that we all just kind of say, but it's so important. This is what those who have this identity get. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. Now let me say it a little bit differently. Not may money, career, health, good looks, popularity be multiplied to you. That's all the things that we care about, right? The best school, the great promotion, you know, I hope I could buy a house and then, you know, it, it, the equity on it will just grow, grow, grow. <laughs> and I hope I own these stocks and, and the value on it will grow, grow, grow. Not may your wealth, your popularity, or your achievements be multiplied to you, but grace and peace be multiplied to you. <laughs> and let me say something about this. There's this word in here, be multiplied to you. Um, so I hope this doesn't sound like a, a, a boast from your pastor, okay? Um, I, you know, uh, I've studied Greek, and my Greek isn't the best, but it's decent. And, um, and I just have a, a, an instinct for when the English, I don't always look up the Greek, I just have an instinct for when the English, I just know is, that's just, that's good. That's the way the Greek is. But every now and then, I just have an instinct when the English is, isn't quite the best translation. This is one of those examples. So I looked it up. The word in the Greek means something like this. It doesn't multiply. It's, it's not bad, but it's too weak. So let me say it to you in the way I think is a better translation. May grace and peace overflow abundantly in you. May grace and peace. If your soul is like a cup, the picture is that grace and peace flows into it and it just overflows with incredible, it's like spilling out all over the floor. That in your life, if your life is like a cup, grace and peace just spills out all the time. You have more of it than you ever think you thought, more of it than you ever thought you ever needed. Brothers and sisters, if you're a believer, will you be, would you remember this? Your person, your humanity is so grounded in that you were chosen, that something that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit has done for you, which you could not do for yourself now, so this is yours. Grace and peace is just spilling out all over the place. If you have a test coming up and you're going, if I don't do well on this test, that's it, I'm not going to make it into a good college. If you have a review coming up and going, if I don't do well in this review, I'm, 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 I'm not going to make rent because I really need this promotion. If you have um, a medical test coming up and you're worried if this medical test doesn't grow very well, oh my goodness, I don't, I don't know. We're not going to make it. Grace and peace is spilling it on the floor for you. Through Jesus. Everything that our brother shared. He watched his mom shockingly too soon die of heart, heart failure. And then <laughs> I guess it runs in the family. Just a few months ago, he got a little taste of it himself. And he found out this is not theory. Grace and peace 
spilling out. Now, let me say, now let's go back to this verse. I want to emphasize this because this is so important, okay? So, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus, according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So, let me say this. There's this person named Jesus. He's not a mythological figure. He's a historical figure. Something happened in history, and I know some of you may not believe this, but this is at the center of the claim of Christianity. Something happened where somebody conquered the dead. And here's the meaning of it in the gospel. That thing where he conquers the dead, it's shared, and all those who are believing in him, they share it. That's your identity. That's the deepest foundation it's the biggest, weightiest thing of your life. Um, years ago, I remember listening to Tim Keller in his sermons talk about this thing. There's different facts of your life. Um, you know, like, I'm Korean. That's a fact of my life. Okay, I, I went to such and such school, or I, I, I studied such and such things, and I have such and such degrees, and I have X, Y, Z talents, etc. all right? But what Tim Keller said was, let Jesus, his atoning death, and his resurrection... Be the weightiest fact of your life. Is that the biggest fact of your life? That's something worth building your identity on, your very self. And here's the part I really want to get into. So this is a new part, okay? Um, I, want to, I want to get to this part. So, to an inheritance that's imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. That's not the new part. I just want to just emphasize it again. That's the definition of holiness. You want a self, an identity that's holy. Not religious. Something that has such tremendous power that anything that's good inside of you, it cannot die imperishable. It is not corrupted, undefiled. And it's not going to fade away into nothing, unfading. And so um, I want to just jump ahead this. It says this. So says, um, in this you rejoice, I hope you rejoice, for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. You're, nobody's immune for this. You're going to be grieved. You're going to cry from a trial which hurts you. And then it says this, verse 7, so that tested by the genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that you may be found to result in praise and glory at the honor, glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So here's the verse I really want to go over now. Verse 8. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice. Here's the, here's the part I really want you to get. With joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. With joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your soul. Now I want to jump ahead to Second um, Peter um, chapter 1, verse 3. It's said again in a slightly different way. Verse 3, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness, not your power, not your efforts, not how smart you are, but his divine power 
has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. And sometimes when I read something like that, I always go, life and godliness. In the Bible, that's the same thing. <laughs> it's pertain to us life. Pertain to us godliness. Godliness is life. Life is godliness. Through the knowledge of him, here it is, who called us to his own glory and excellence. I want you to go back. Let's go back to verse 8. Though you do not now sin, you believe in him with rejoice that is inexpressible, filled with glory. A joy inexpressible, filled with glory. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. Through the knowledge of him who has called us to his own glory and excellence. And these kinds of verses, they just seem to blip right by. It's kind of how Peter is. He just gives you a big word and just kind of boom. And I, and I want to just, I want to chew on this a bit. In the foundation of your life, you know what you're looking for? You're looking for glory. Something so big and so worthy and so beautiful that you can, that it'll, it'll give you a self Joy and excellence will last. And you know what? Anything that's truly glory, it demands and calls for excellence. So I, we have some in, in our church that, you know, you, you, you make your kids study music. And so do you want them to play badly? Just get in there and just play however you feel like. Plunk, 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 bad notes, <laughs> you know, bad sounds, wrong chords. Why don't you sing for us? And it's like, uh, uh. Okay, go to the next room. Don't say anymore. Is that what we want? The glory is the music. We want excellence. And so we always want grace to come into our life. And grace is something you receive and you don't deserve it. And so it's just kind of like, it's kind of like pure passive receptivity. That's not how it works. If you want glory, you want excellence. See? Glory and its excellence. And then, when you have glory and its excellence, then will come out every now and then, every now and then, a joy will be tasted, which is you can't even quite express. Hmm? And so, uh, uh, you know, not too long ago when we started our church, and my son was playing. Um, you know, the chords on our praise team. You know what I was thinking about? I was thinking about the fights we had about him practicing piano. And I was thinking about the conversations where he wanted to quit. And it's really personal. Many of you are just enjoying him playing. And some of you don't even notice that he's up there. I notice that he's up there. And I got a joy... And it wasn't just because that the music was good. It's that he was worshiping. And I had a joy that was inexpressible. And there was a level of excellence and glory. And there was a glory of God. Not the glory of Hudson. And there was a joy inexpressible. Just a little, little taste. And all of you are looking for that. We're looking for that when, you know, your, your, your child, you know, you get your, the report card of your child. You're like, I hope it's a good report card. 
you're looking for that. Some of you are like looking for that and waiting for that. You're clicking your email and hoping that the college whose glory is a big glory will say, we accepted you. You're looking for that. You're a little older now and your team worked a certain way and then someone who's important will come in and say, that was incredible. This is it. Our, our company is going to advance forward because of what you did here. There's a glory and an excellence. It's, it just comes out in all kinds of crazy ways. Um, this past week, I was listening to a podcast of uh, one of the famous sports you know, writers of our time. His name is Bill Simmons. And he's a total Boston you know, hometown fan. And he was talking about all the times that Boston Red Sox got just crushed. <laughs> and, and I don't know if you know, if you're not a baseball fan, you don't know this, but in the 70s and in, the, in 1986, there was this game that just completely destroyed all Boston fans. I watched that game. I wasn't even a Boston fan, and I felt sorry for them. <laughs> I mean, it was just the complete opposite of glory. It was just like a little piece of hell on earth. Unbelievable disappointment. And then in 2003, it happened all over again. Just the, one of the most crushing, horrible games of all time, if you're a Boston fan. And then in 2004, they came back. And the miracle happened. And they won. And there he is. Bill Simmons is talking about, he says, this is the greatest day of my life. That's what he called it. I'm listening to him. He's going, this is the greatest day of my life. That's what he said. There he is. It's, it's a, this is a podcast episode that happened this week. He's talking about something that happened 17 years ago. He said it's the best day of his life. A glory inexpressible with excellence. So, all of you, you're looking for something like that. But here's the, here's the part I want to say this, all right? You're walking through your life looking for this. Sometimes it's just going to come out in all kinds of ways. You're chasing the glory. You're building your identity. And then... Then there's going to be a grief and a trial which crushes yourself, which steals away your glory. You thought that this person was going to love you for the rest of your life. They said so. They went to the altar and said so. And there was a day that said, It's over. Huh. It's over. And the day that he proposed to you was a bright, shining, glorious day. And the day he and you went to the altar and he gave you one of these things, he said it was not going, this love was not going to perish. But it faded. And it died. And it's a crushing day of grief and trial. This is life. This is life. And this is what it means to be human. And this is the identity question. And I want to say this at the front end. To all those of you who believe in Jesus, at one point you believed in Jesus, and we're so glad that we have eternity, but our brother showed us today that there is an application and a power of believing in Jesus. And I want to get to this before I close out. This is the part I want to close with, right? It's built on 
this, this verse. Verse 4, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 4. By which, you know, he has called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and maximally magnificent promises. And this is the fight we have in our life. You have this identity. You know, you're like, okay, okay, I believe in Jesus. The fight is, when, not if, when the grieving trial comes into your life, can you believe in the promise? Is the promise so set into your identity that when life comes in and kicks you so hard, you will want to cry that those promises are at the seedbed of your heart. And you know, you know, you just know it hurts today, but I'm going to make it. And in fact, I'm not only just going to make it, by the resurrection of Jesus, I'm going to overcome. Do you have that? The key is, do you believe in the maximally magnificent promise and sown that into your heart all the time? That's where identity needs, needs to rest, okay? Let's go to part two. I want to offer you, um, I want to say something to all of you who are, don't believe in Jesus, okay? So, there's this verse, this little verse there, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 4, okay? Here's what it says. Um, verse 4. So, He's granted us these precious and maximally magnificent promises so that through them you could be, become a partaker of the divine nature. The divine nature means you're, you can have an eternal heart and you can share in holiness and you can overcome the trials that the cursedness of life will throw us. But then here's this part. Have an escape from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. The word there is, the word there is twisted desire. The word there is corrupt desire. Unholy desire. And if you do not have Jesus, this is the only kind of desire you have. There's all kinds of desires in the world. You want to build a good, you want, there's nothing wrong with wanting glory. There's nothing want, wrong with say like, I want to have a good career. I want, to, I want to have such good career that I make really good money. There's nothing wrong with like finding the love of your life. There's nothing wrong with those desires. But here's the problem with those desires. If those desires are the ultimate desires, and if those desires are going to be what you build your identity upon, you, you can say, my desire is to build my identity on that. That's an unholy desire. It's a sinful desire. It's a twisted desire. And it's made you corrupted, and it's going to put you in a really bad place. So for those people who don't have God, it used to be when I was younger, those people who didn't have God, you grew up believing in God, but you just kind of put them into the corner. It's like you grew up going to church, stopped going to church, but you vaguely have this theoretical idea that there's this being of God, and you don't disbelieve in him. So somewhere along the line, someone needs to kind of fan this, like, this almost dying little flame. You know, you really need God again. And so you're not, like, against this idea of going to church. You're like, yeah, my life is kind of in a bad place, and I'm pretty much failing. And so 
if you have a good, a good friend who, who seems to really love you, invite you to church, you're going, hmm, maybe I really need this God person again. And so you'll try it. So for many in my generation, they didn't tend to have this more hard-bitten kind of secularism where God feels like, feels, like today, the evidence for God or against God isn't any less or more than it was when I was young, okay? I would say the evidence today is more powerful than when I was young, actually. I should say, I, so my previous statement is wrong. It's actually more powerful today. I think the science is stronger for God today. I won't get into that. I think the evidence around the world is stronger for God today. All the people who think that, like, oh, Christianity is a dead white man's religion, that is so wrong. <laughs> Do you know that the vast majority of Christians in the world today are probably... Who, you know, when you know what the skin color, <laughs> the biggest skin color of the Christians today are, it's black. <laughs> Christianity is exploding in Africa. <laughs> There's like more Christians that are black today <laughs> than they're probably, you can like add up all the white Christians over the, like the last 100 and 200 years and there's more black Christians than ever white Christians have ever been over 200 years. I'm not kidding. So this global faith this idea that if you're not white, that somehow this religion isn't for you, that's, well, just, why don't you say that to the hundreds of millions of black people that are coming to Jesus today? That's crazy. But here's what identity looks like, and I just want to say a little something today. Secular identity construction looks like this. Like, I don't think there's a God person out there, so I have to find something in my life to build my life on. So, so some of you are like, I'm going to build my life on, career is not that interesting to me. I'm going to find the love of my life, and we're going to have, like, beautiful children. <laughs> and then we're going to make perfect kids with the love of my life. So that's your identity. Your identity is to be, like, a, a husband and a father, or, or to be a mother, like today. You know, so maybe that's your, your deep identity. Your major wasn't that, you know, it's like, okay, this will get me enough money. Your, your job you're like, eh, I'm doing pretty well. That's good. But mostly, you care about where you live, where your mortgage is going to be, where the schools are. Especially a lot of Asian folks. That's, that's, the, that's the identity they really care about. And some of you, your identity is to have some kind of magnificent, you're, you care about the magnificent promises in your industry. Okay, so just two common identity. So here's the first thing. So, um, some of you are like, well, I want both. How about that one? I'm going to get both, and I'm going to get perfect marriage, perfect kids, and awesome career. <laughs> and awesome career. And then you're going to marry somebody who goes, I want both. I'm going to have perfect marriage and perfect kids and awesome career. Here's the first problem. Which one is it? Which, which really is it? The thing that you love so much that you can build your identity, yourself on it, let me tell you something. Even inside of you, it's incoherent. And especially if you're young, you probably don't even know which one it is. <laughs> I don't mean to be kind of mean, but you think you know. You think you know, but you actually don't. You actually don't. 
So first, of, first and foremost, incoherent. So first, I'm going to build my identity. Who's going to tell you how you're going to build your identity? The person is you. It's not a God. In, in traditional society, your mom and dad had a big say. And in traditional society, your culture had a big say. Your ancestors had a big say. It's like, we're farmers, you're farmers. We're soldiers, you're soldier. We're carpenter, you're a carpenter. If you don't do it this way, our whole people will think that you're dishonorable. Okay. But that's kind of, kind of, kind of worked. It's kind of nice you don't have this big, gigantic choice on your shoulder. But it also kind of stinks if you're really good at art and you're terrible at farming. <laughs> it kind of stinks, doesn't it? It doesn't kind of stinks. It seriously stinks. What if you're a woman and you're like, well, I didn't really want to pop out six kids because I'm a really, really great artist and that's what I want to be. So traditional society can kind of stink that way. But, but here's the other one. In modern identity, I'm free. I get to choose. But what if you don't know? Or you think you know, but it's incoherent. You have these two competing inside your heart. And then you, 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 you exhaust yourself in, in, in maximum career, and then you exhaust yourself in, in trying to find the love of your life. And then when the career is doing really, really well, yes, but then you have a six-month period when the career looks like it's doing bad, and then in that six-month period, you know what's going to happen? Yourself is going to tell yourself, you're a bum. <laughs> you're a bum. You're a loser. You're not going to make it because your identity is built on yourself and yourself is telling yourself <laughs> you're lame. <laughs> and then you're like, okay, okay, you know what? I, I have a nice girlfriend. I'm glad she loves me. So six months later, she doesn't look like she's loving you. And so you know what happens? Yourself, it's going to tell yourself, you're a bum. Or, so how about this? You have this really good girlfriend, and you have your career. So now let's, let's do it the good way. It's all working out great. She's a great girlfriend. It's a great career. It's all working out great. But now inside your career, your boss is like, do this. You have to travel more. If you travel more, We'll give you this. You know, he starts putting out you know, the rewards, the promises. Bump, bump, bump. And next thing you know, you didn't know it, but really the career was your real idolatry. That's the real foundation. So you start chasing your career, and six months later, your wonderful girlfriend, she's getting interested in the guy who lives down the hall in her apartment. Incoherence. Here's the second one. It's unstable. It's unstable. So you think you want this, then you think you want this, and you're at, you are at the whims of the world. So if your circumstances go up, you feel so great. Actually, you probably feel overconfident and overjoyed. But then, and you don't realize it, you're probably kind of arrogant, and you're like, you're kind of in this high, everything is going so great for me. And then when the circumstances dump down, you just like, 
And if it's about your identity, it's one thing like, you know, let's say if you love your car, but then you crash your car, but you don't love it as much as, say, your job. You know, if you really love your car and you crash your car and you're like depressed for two weeks, you will know you loved it more than your job. See, that's kind of how you know. But if your girlfriend leaves you and you get really depressed and you don't want to get out of bed, now you knew that's where your identity was. You know why there's so much depression in our society? Because if you build your identity on one of these things, it's just a matter of time before the world comes along and just yanks it out underneath you and makes you cry and your whole identity will just crumble. <laughs> one more issue, and this will take me to part three of my message. You know what you really, really need? You're looking for this thing that you're building your life on to bless you. You're going to enter into a glory. That glory is of excellence. And that glory, with its excellence, will now pronounce a blessing on you where inexpressible joy will wash over you. So apparently Bill Simmons, when in 2003, when the Red Sox got crushingly defeated, he went into the pits of hell. And then in 2004, when they hit the, the excellence, it gave him inexpressible joy. It was like the Red Sox, bless, you know, he's looking for blessing. It's like his team, it's, part, it's, it's like he's not even in control. He thinks he's in control. It's like, if I raise my hands or when this batter comes up, you know, people get crazy like this. And we get like this. But you're looking for a blessing. And I want to say this last part before I go into this final thing. You can't bless yourself. You don't know it, but there's this you, that's you that's running through your life, trying to make it, you're drowning, you're running, you're falling down. And then there's the you that's in control of you. That's the, the Lord of you. You're like, I'm, I, I'm, I'm in control of my life. Yes, I'm the Lord of my life. Oh, let's make it. No, I'm the Lord of, it's like, if you're secular, there's these two yous. And you're hoping that the, the powerful you, the Lord of you, will tell you, you're good and will bless you. It's never going to work. You're just not big enough, important enough, glorious enough to bless you this way. I'm going to close my message. I want to, I want to talk about um, a, a concept that it took me years to learn. Not because like, like I'm smart or something like that, because I was dense, okay? I just couldn't understand this. So um, this concept is the weight inside of your soul. So C.S. Lewis, the famous Christian author, he wrote this, this, this really odd book called The Great Divorce. And in The Great Divorce, what happens is there's these people inside of hell. They go on this trip <laughs> to heaven. And what happens is like they, there's this one, I, it's, it's a while since I read this, but I still remember this, like, all these souls in hell get on this boat. And the souls in hell are light and have no weight because they're shallow. And their selves, their identity was built on something weak and nothing. So they're this kind of like feathery soul. Their souls are feathery and have no weight. And they get into this boat 
And one who is really a Christian who is saved has to get into the boat to take them to, you know, their trip to heaven. And when this person gets into the boat, the boat sinks because he has weight. It's like, whoa. And then, and then everybody's in the boat. They get scared. They're like, oh, we're going to sink. And I still remember this going like, well, that's a really weird, that's a very weird um, analogy. And what he meant by that is people in hell are almost not really themselves. They're almost like subhuman because they're just these wispy souls that are almost nothing. That's what he meant. Because they're built on nothing that will just pass away. But those who are born again from the resurrection, they have a body. <laughs> they have substance. And that body is that the physical, the physicality of that substance is imperishable and undefiled. And it represents that in their soul, there is something that is so undefilable and unfatable and imperishable there's a hope of great weight. Hmm? Let me ask you, do you have that in your life? And let me say a second thing. If you have it in your life or not, it's not a question of whether you feel it. The test in your life is when life comes and kicks you really hard. That's when you'll find out. The winds will blow and we'll find out if you're just blown over or if you have weight and you will stand, and the holiness of, of you, that weight, will help you to be imperishable, undefiled, and unfading when the winds of the world come. And I want to offer you one more thing. How do you get there? How do you get there? What you do is you have to believe something, and then inside of that, inside of that, you rest on those maximally magnificent promises. So here, I want to give you a quote from Tim Keller again. Here's the way he puts this. He's, he said this in a sermon, and I, I want to change quote. You can't bless yourself. Listen. Here's how a lasting identity comes. The praise of the praiseworthy is above all rewards. Let me say it again. The praise of the praiseworthy is above all rewards. It's relational. There has to be a person whose glory, whose excellence, whose joy is so big and his joy and love and his pleasure on you, his praise will come over you and say, in you, in you, you belong to me. And my love is upon you. And my joy is upon you. And myself, the imperishable, undefilable, unfading self is upon you. Is that word on you? And it's not just a one-time thing. You have to keep believing that. The Christians are like, I believe it, then I don't believe it. It's like, you're a Christian on Monday, then you, like, you're like a functional pagan on Tuesday. And the world is kicking you down. That's kind of how we're like. So non-Christians out there, don't think that Christians are just Christians. They're, they're, they're like, we just fall down just like you. Our faith can be weak. It's there, and Jesus is still there, but we fall down. And I want to close this message with um, an example 
You know, so we need kind of concrete examples. And it's Mother's Day, so I, I want to come up with a Mother's Day example. And I want to tell you about my, 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 um, my grandmother. <laughs> I've been thinking about this. Right now, I keep talking to you about holiness. And for so many of you, holiness is like this weird idea. You probably have these kind of like misconceptions. It's like you got to go to church and you know, be more religion-y, blah, blah, blah. Okay? It's, that's not holiness. I hope you're starting to re- realize it's not what it's like. And I had the great, great, tremendous blessing of growing up with a grandmother who had something of, she had something of holiness. It's really, really good for a doubting Thomas kid like me, (laughs) this kind of natural-born, skeptical intellectual like me who would sift every philosophy, including his own family's religion, (laughs) and say, is this real or not? That's the kind of kid I was. And so I hope you don't, I hope in no way think this is a boast about my family. As as such a doubting kind of kid that I needed, if I didn't have a grandmother like this, I, I probably wouldn't be a Christian. I'm pretty sure I wouldn't be a Christian. For she was like, I tasted something like holiness. And so when the world would come along and tell me all their things, I always just kind of had this person behind me that I knew was more real than what the world was telling me. So here's what I want to tell you a little something about my grandmother, and we'll close this message, okay? Her name is um, Peck Minhee. She was born in 1918. And she, she died in um, 1998. She was not quite, she was born in uh, 1918 and died in 1990. I think she wasn't quite 81. And let me say some, some details about her life. Um, she, uh, she, was, she grew up when she was young in a time when Korea was under um, Japanese occupation. And so she understood what it mean, meant to be in exile why oppressive foreign power crushed you down. So that was the way she grew up. She was born in North Korea, and then the country divided communists, and her family's Christian, so they had to flee to South Korea. So she ran away from that. So she knew that. And then she grew up in the Korean War. She watched great poverty and death. So she knew that. She was married... um, when she was 21, to, um, to my grandfather, he was 20, at, at that time, that was old, okay? <laughs> That's kind of strange. So some of you are wondering, like, oh, will I ever get married? Is it going to happen? Am I going to find love? She actually knew what that felt like. I know that sounds really weird that a, a woman who gets married at 21, but you're, you're supposed to get married a lot younger back then. So she knew that. Um, I only found this out a few weeks ago. She found, I found out a few other things. So um, she had my mom, let me see if I get this right, right? At, at, the age of, uh, at the age of 25, she had my mom. She was married at 21. Back then, generally, you know, there's, no, there's no pill. They're Christians. They don't use, they don't use uh, protection. And they don't even really believe in you know, trying to control this. And she didn't have her first child till four years later. You know why? Because she had two miscarriages. 
And I know this is a really hard thing for some of you to hear because, I mean, right in our congregation, you know the pain of this. So she didn't just have one, she had two. And she finally had a child, as my mom, at the age of 25. It actually gets worse. I didn't know about this till recently. She had then had a son. And you know, this is like a, you know, it's a culture that like wants to have a son, right? So that was a glorious day. Her son was born, and um, this is during wartime. And she's out in the countryside, and she's not in the city, and she can't go to the hospital. There's no doctor. And there's an elderly old woman who's basically a midwife. And the midwife said, I have all this experience, and I'll help you. And it's just it's an unbelievably horrible story. The midwife screwed up and didn't clamp off the umbilical cord or something like that. And then, you know, all the fluids and the blood came out, and apparently the baby was born on the day of his birth. He passed away. Can you imagine? And some of you mothers in our church, I know you personally know this feeling. I want to say to you today, Jesus knows you. There is no grief, there's no trial, there is no pain, and the deepest, deepest darkness that his promises cannot reach. My grandmother, she knew this pain. And then, a couple years later, then she had her son, <laughs> my uncle. So there's my mom, and then my oldest uncle, is, there's like four years gap. And then she had Six more kids. She had eight kids. Okay, isn't that wonderful? They immigrate to the United States in the 70s. My grandmother finds out, okay, this is really interesting, she's been sickly her whole life. She gets diagnosed with diabetes when she gets to the United States. I remember always being in and out of the hospital. And then, so she's sickly. Let me tell you one more thing that's just, just so painful, right? So in 1979, so she had my mom, then she had four boys, then she had three girls. The oldest of my aunts, she was diagnosed in her 20s with tuberculosis. And in 1979, she passed away. My grandmother was probably about 60 years old. In my life, I think, that might be the worst thing that I could possibly ever imagine, burying one of my kids. And my grandmother, she experienced that when she was 60. I actually remember that day. I was at the funeral, and I remember my mom and my grandmother just wailing with a pain I'll never forget. <laughs> But here's where I want to close this message. My grandmother, with all the things that she's, you know, whenever she hung out with me, I did not know that she had this pain. I don't know if it's because, like, I'm her oldest grandchild, and when she's around me, she's like, here's my grandchild. <laughs> and she just lights up because she's being the mom, being a grand. I don't know. But I think it's more than just being a mom and a grandma. 
I think it's because she knew she had the resurrection of Jesus. She knew that she had an inheritance which was imperishable, undefilable, and unfading. And you know what? It's not fake. My grandmother had a joy and a laughter and a kindness which just like never went away. It's crazy. It's crazy. She was like one of my favorite people to ever hung out with. Every time I'd come home from vacation, I'd go visit my grandparents, but it was really mostly to see her, not my grandfather. Kind of, yeah, he's okay. <laughs> I loved him, but really, my grandma was one of the coolest people I ever met in my life. An unfading joy. And I want to say this to you. This is yours. Grace and peace overflowing. There's more than enough. No matter what. Through Jesus. If you have him, this is yours. You can have what my grandmother had. Just double down on Jesus every day. And he will prove himself to you again and again and again. And the people around you will think you are the strangest, cruelest person. (laughs) Maybe you will have a child or a grandchild who probably will end up in hell if he didn't have you. (laughs) So, double down on the hope of Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, we pray for all our moms, especially those who have wrestled with infertility, with miscarriage, and even worse, losing a child. We pray for we pray for just all of us who are wrestling. We particularly want to pray today there's anybody here today listening to this message who does not know this maximally magnificent promise given to the resurrected Jesus today could be your day to begin a new identity as the Bible says born again to a living hope and I want to pray for all those who do have already been born again to a living hope help us to Wake up tomorrow and say, my great desires are to live inside of an unfading, maximally magnificent promises and hope. And I'm not going to wake up for my corrupt, defiled, sinful, worldly desires. Lord, today, help us to pray. Let me throw those away. Let me throw unholy desires away unholy beliefs away so that we could know the great conquering holy unfading joy and power that we have through Jesus that our city would be ringing with new versions of Pekminhi that our church would be filled with Pekminhis thank you Lord Jesus that this is a very real hope Help us to live in it. In Jesus' name, amen.